Hi guys, this is Apple Treats. Um, we have a very, very special episode today. Well, probably as always. Uh, we will talk about the things and places where you can put Swift and those will not be Apple devices or not just Apple devices, let's say it that way. Arena, Max, hi. Hi everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, let's go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Let's start with some introduction. So we have Max Desiatov, uh, who is one of the authors of uh, Swift WebAssembly and uh, Tokamak UI. But before we dive into that, let's start with some background. Max, could you share a bit how you get into the development, how you got into uh, Swift WebAssembly and uh, well, Swift for everything, I would say. Sure. Um, thanks for the introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, in terms of uh, the, the, this, the history of all these things, uh, I started uh, programming in general with, uh, I would say, somehow I stumbled upon in uh, the Structure Interpretation of Computer Programs book, which is focused on Lisp and functional programming. Um, that's how I, I would say my main kind of um, experience of coding was based on that book. I was inspired by it. And before I started building any kind of commercial projects, that was a kind of, it, it had a pretty high impact on my programming background. And uh, after that, as soon as I started building something commercial um, that was in uh, programming language Haskell, which is not to be confused with, with Pascal, but Haskell is a uh, functional programming language uh, with which I've built some kind of simple um, um, systems, mostly backend with with bits of frontend as well. Uh, but that was a small freelance project. And when, when I went further uh, in my career, I understood that FB was uh, in and especially Haskell were considered to be like academic at that at that time which was uh, 2008 2009 and by 2010 I landed at a job where I was mostly doing C++ and JavaScript with uh, cross-platform stuff and that's how I got introduced to Mac OS and Apple platforms in general um, iPhone has just started then um, uh, and Objective-C uh, gained traction as well, especially because of iPhone and uh, App Store. I transitioned uh, into Objective-C developer at around 2012 and uh, developed apps for macOS, iPad, iPhone at that time. Uh, worked for uh, worked on an indie app at that time. Uh, not my own app, but an app by other people, it was still a time where indie apps could become very successful, and and uh, let's say founder of such indie apps could could employ a couple of people working on such apps. And um, I had some experience with JavaScript as well. Node.js became a thing, uh, and by 2014 is that's when Swift became announced. Uh, I also had my own app. Uh, by that time that it published on the App Store or was was going to publish, just written completely in Objective-C. With all of this FB background, it wasn't really, and C++ and JavaScript, I wasn't really satisfied with what, how Objective-C looked like. And especially compared to JavaScript, I still think 
I, I understand how Objective-C <laughs> looks like it looks, as it's, it's essentially right. a layer on top of C, but um, it, it still it, it lacked a lot of the advanced features that other languages had. And when Swift came out, it was basically, it was a, releva- it was a revelation for me. It's like, yeah, these folks do get it. They do get what FP is. And even though Swift wasn't advertised like in a functional programming language, um, I think it's a one of the approaches to how FP was um, kind of commercialized in some sense and quite widely, uh, especially Swift standard library itself is built on functional programming principles like immutability and free functions and... Um, stuff like that, functional functional reactive programming became more popular with Combine. So at that point, yeah, Swift became, made perfect sense for me. Uh, I rewrote that up basically with first Swift betas in a couple weeks, months, however much that took with all of the compiler crashes, Xcode crashes, but I managed to submit something to the app store uh, of my own that was written in Swift. And from that point, I think most of the time I was focused on Swift. I had some digressions with um, some, for example, I was uh, had a startup idea in NLP space where I was trying to use Python. And it was pretty interesting experience um, uh, with uh, how Python evolved during all those years, Node.js as well. Uh, But Swift was still still there for me. And... um, I had some consulting experience too. I think so, some of that could explain how um, I became more interested in porting Swift to other platforms. Um, I, I, I stumbled upon a couple of people who approached me and asked whether I could develop an app for them. And uh, usually they ask for a, quote, for a quote, an estimate, how long that's gonna take, can you add support for Android or a web app? especially. And when you basically tell them, yeah, iOS app is going to be in Swift because that makes perfect sense. You'll get the most advanced features uh, if you want them. And even if you don't, accessibility, for example, matters. And basic things like animations, whether the UI looks like a native UI, do matter. And because of that, iOS app is written in Swift. Android app is probably written in Kotlin or Java, and it's basically three different apps. And so for clients who compare that and say, yeah, we don't care about any of the advanced stuff. We don't have any budget for maintaining three separate code bases. Uh, so I became frustrated with that. I, I, I would say I lost a few prospective clients because of it, because they basically have chosen, no, we can't afford um, using maintaining three separate code bases. We want to share code as much as possible. And with React Native gaining traction, especially Kotlin multi-platform as well, um, I understood that Swift is not a very kind of favorable position. And so it, it made sense to start digging into having Swift supported in some sense on other platforms. And even though a lot of people already worked on something like that, um, for example, Swift on the web, there were some a few projects that were trying uh, to explore that area, server-side Swift as well. And I think I found some kind of niche there and started digging into that. Nice. Okay, thank you for sharing your story and uh, to tell the truth, I understand your inspiration with Swift after Objective-C because I had some Ruby on Rails uh, and uh, JavaScript background as well. 
and uh, uh, like uh, uh, the main like pain uh, point was uh, like sharing uh, between platforms for you, but uh, you spread it uh, everywhere you can, as I see. And uh, what's the state for server size suite at the moment? Um, that's a good question. So I, mm -hmm. I personally, I would say I'm not focused on server-side Swift for the last few years. When, when soon as Swift was became open source and was announced as something that you could run on Linux, uh, I, I remember, I would say it would be justified to say that there was some amount of hype to it. Uh, one of the startup startup ideas that I've considered at the time was connected, was related to server-side Swift. It was, was also maintaining a, a newsletter about server-side Swift. Um, at that that period, 2016-17, I would say, maybe 2018, is when I saw there were like tutorials published every week, some small libraries and people trying this and that. And that's when there were three competing server-side Swift frameworks, at least the biggest ones like Zevo and uh, Vapor. Perfect. Oh, there there was Kitura from IBM, and now we see all of that basically die down. I'm, I'm glad that Vapor is still going, and Vapor maintainers are doing a great job. And I think I'm, I'm, um, it's it's hard to say whether uh, it became better in a sense. There is not as much probably unjustified hype in some sense. And also, we see now that um, one, one one explanation to this could be that uh, some more advanced stuff, uh, like if you want to build a more advanced backend with Kubernetes and replication and AWS and all of that stuff, it only becomes available now in the recent years. And all of this more serious stuff still has to compete with more established players in this area, like Go and Node.js and Scala. And so there are kind of two approaches here. One is to teach iOS developers, or which is like the biggest niche for Swift devs right now. Yeah. Uh, th those people need to gain experience in all of these advanced, more advanced topics like AWS and all of those services, or say Azure or Google Cloud Platform, like deployments, blue-green deployment, uh, rolling deployments, Kubernetes, all that stuff. And that's very hard. It's like a completely different niche because we iOS devs, we spend years on like kind of polishing, focusing on animations and collect all the different ways to build a collection view. And there is just as much as the, the amount of knowledge needed to do like successful big scale server-side projects is just as big. So Swift there is in this kind of interesting niche because it's either you convert iOS devs and they learn all of this stuff from scratch or you compete with other people. So people who write stuff in Go and Scala and Node.js have to see, oh, Swift is an interesting language because A, B, and C, and then we'd be able to capture this so-called market share in this area. And then people could convert from Swift who already have all that knowledge in large-scale deployments. I, I think concurrency Swift is a big thing here. So with Swift 5.5, we could say actors, it's probably yeah. Swift is the, one of the first like kind of commercial languages that has actors as first class entities in the uh, in the language itself. 
and that's that's amazing. Uh, the work done, the work that was done there by the Swift team is just it, it's outstanding. I would say, well, well, compared to what I saw in other languages uh, in in this area. So I think that this is one of the kind of potential. I wouldn't say I don't want to say it's a killer feature, but it could be a compelling thing where people who use other languages could say, "Oh, that's interesting. I would, I would, I would have a look at Swift." But it's just one part of the story. There are still developer tools and integration libraries that's probably still still need some development. I would say. Uh, so factors, how do you think? Uh, yeah. What is more? Uh, important here, like uh, a wide uh, library, so like uh, to connect and con- connectors to database and uh, abilities that uh, will provide it. All this uh, human factor, what stuffs more? Uh, it's probably chicken and egg problem. I I don't know. I'm not a. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I wouldn't say the services Swift again is my kind of focus, especially in my consulting mm-hmm. uh, experience. So. I, I mostly build like front-end apps, and I've been just dabbling with kind of small, small-ish deployments uh, with kind of where just one host and one database. So for me personally, developer tools is a big thing. Like Xcode does not support it for Xcode. No, no, non-Apple platforms just don't exist. And Visual and for other editors and IDEs like Visual Studio Code, for example. The support is just uh, not as good, I would say. And so, for me personally, yeah, developer tools is a big thing. But on the other hand, if there were like all other things, where just there, there was some like amazing library that would make creation of backend uh, backends in Swift would make it so easy that just the dev tools uh, aren't aren't as a big deal, aren't as a big problem. And still, people would, could still be compelled with all their libraries, and they would start building dev, dev tools. So, but again, I'm just hypothesizing here. I I don't know sure. what the actual thinking of people who consider Swift, especially for large scale projects, because that's I, where I think things happen. Like if if someone inside, so that it just it just, it just recalled that there is a server side framework from uh, Amazon. Called smoke. So I have if 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 there if there's some kind of origin story there, where how do those people think who write that framework and who use it in production? As far as I know, it is used in a, at Amazon in some capacity. Maybe they could share that. And uh, yeah, me as having the limited experience here, I can only hypothesize what's there. But yeah, it's probably a chicken and egg problem in in a sense. It seems that actors are actually well. That's not my opinion, not, not just my opinion, but there are a lot of talks that actors are added to Swift, not just for the iOS or macOS. It, it has some like usage there specifically for the like routing everything to main thread, but it looks like a feature for uh, server side or like backend apps or something like that, at least like from some perspective. We also have a comment now that uh, Swift is not needed on the backend. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I probably would want to have Swift on the backend and uh, like have, well, currently if you talk full stack, it's like usually JavaScript, right? Like full stack developer, or JavaScript developer. If we can call full stack Swift developer, probably that would be interesting. I mean, at least there will be a, a competition 
and uh, both languages will be will evolve from that. Um, yeah. So speaking of uh, JavaScript, uh, Web, and uh, Swift, so we know you as uh, one of the well. I, I, will be proper to call you as a maintainer of Swift uh, WebAssembly. So, what's that? <laughs> um, yeah, in, in one sentence, uh, Swift for WebAssembly is a fork of the Swift toolchain that adds support for the WebAssembly target. And WebAssembly itself is a virtual machine that's available in every browser, um, which makes things like that possible, which which allows you to compile all the different languages, including Swift, and run them in the browser. Uh, the main motivation there, again, as, as, as I said, like I want to have some possibility to share code. Um, it, it probably all started uh, with a, an issue in the Amscript-N repository. Amscript-N uh, is a compiler for C and C++, LVM-based languages to WebAssembly, and originally ASM.js as well. Basically, ASM.js was a precursor project to WebAssembly. And someone back in 2000, I think 14, the same year that Swift was announced, uh, we already knew that Swift is based on LVM. And people just started dabbling with, like, can we get mscript and Swift compiler and just <laughs> check them somehow together, get LLVM uh, intermediate representation, feed that to mscript and get some Swift code running in the browser. And it was a huge thread. It's, it had like dozens and dozens of comments. Um, I think I tried in 2018 uh, playing with some of the patches that were flying around in that thread where people started sharing their forks and um, they they were trying to get uh, to to push pro to push things forward with with the with that implementation. Swift so by that time was open source, which was already uh, a great boost in in the, in the, in that direction. There are still a lot of things that got in the way, like Objective C interoperability, uh, multi-threading, um, the way reference counting is implemented. So this this is one of the reasons that. Languages such as Rust and C and C++ got WebAssembly support much earlier because memory management there is much simpler. And uh, yeah, for Swift, it took a lot of time. Um, there are some features in the standard library, like advanced string uh, string support with Unicode that was already that was also hard to implement. Long story short, we, uh, me and a couple of co-maintainers, uh, I would say actually my role in the Swift WebAssembly is not as not as major. I'm I'm hesitate to say how many percent of the work I've done, but I've been mostly doing, um, let's say, kind of CI setup and submitting patches upstream to Apple's repository and uh, resolving conflicts with the upstream stuff. Uh, two people made uh, like very significant contributions. So Zhou Wei Zhang in 2018, 2019, he was working basically getting all th all of these things um, to the, not a, to a finish line, but to something to something that was demoable. So Swift Wasm, the name of the project was basically established by him and he created a GitHub organization. And uh, yeah, it was just, Polishing all that stuff uh, when Joe Way switched to other projects, and later 2019, 2020 is when 
uh, Yuta Saito from Japan has joined our project and he is a fantastic engineer and he has a ton of knowledge on how the Swift toolchain works and how WebAssembly work, WebAssembly implementations work. Um, he has written a WebAssembly debugger and interpreter uh, in, in Rust, which was a tremendous help for us when porting the foundation library. And long story short, we, we got we got there and we've released Swift 5.4, I think. So, sorry, Swift 5.3 last year. Um, and that's how we started basically getting some kind of working things in the browser. Yuda was also the main author of the JavaScript Git library, which allows you to call from Swift into JavaScript and interact with things in the browser. But also there are different applications here. So you could, for example, compile a Swift, with Swift Wasm, you could get a WebAssembly binary and run it with Node.js, for example, or an AWS Lambda. And uh, yeah, wherever JavaScript is available, or web, better to say WebAssembly virtual machine is available, which is every browser, Node.js, uh, and some other JavaScript runtimes mm-hmm. you may include this. And there are also standalone WebAssembly machines for like IoT, and there's all the crazy stuff going on in blockchain with WebAssembly that I just don't want to. That I, I, I'm, I'm personally not a fan of any of the blockchain, but I, I don't want to flame to start any flame wars based right. on that. I, I, I would just say I'm not interested in that stuff. But I know some of that, some of those things are going on there, and there are a lot of people interested in that as well. Uh, so for you, was uh, your main motivation is to share code and uh, like a final goal, uh, Tomakov. To Tokamak, <laughs> and um, but uh, it's nice that you noticed this case with blockchain. I was uh, really thinking, you know, what tasks we can pass to WebAssembly? Maybe some machine learning uh, or something like this. Um, and um, you, you already shared us uh, some of achievements and. Um, uh, uh, what you can say about uh, Tokamak achievements? What, uh, like, uh, some uh, JavaScript and functionality coverage? As, is there a goal to cover everything it's possible to do with JavaScript and CSS? And let's start with just what the Tokamak is. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So Tokamak started uh, even before SwiftUI was announced. Uh, by that time, UI kit, I already had some experience with uh, React. Uh, and was quite inspired by how easy it was to build uh, declarative UIs um, with React, and for, especially again for any platforms. As I said, when a client comes to you and say and says, "No, we, we can't afford three, maintaining three separate code bases. We're going to go with, say, React Native." At least I had to pay some attention to that and uh, understand how all these things work. And React was really kind of. Uh, Having what we had at the point, 2018, uh, before SwiftUI was announced, in UIKit and UpKit, yeah, that, that wasn't great compared to React, uh, I would say. Uh, and th- there, it, it's a bit funny because people then, back then, was, and I know that there's a general stereotype in Swift and iOS community, like JavaScript, whoa, that, that's just, that's, that's, that's a, that's not a good language and React, uh, just, it's, it's a browser stuff, but I, like, hold on for a second. Just the basic principles there of declarative UI 
are still there. Like Swift UI is very similar to React. Swift UI is more si much more similar to React than UI Kit and AppKit is. And the basic principles are still there. So uh, Tokamak started as a library which basically ported React uh, to React API to Swift on iOS and macOS. So the goal was is that you write this kind of React-ish code in Swift and you are able to share your code be be between macOS and iOS. And that's declarative code, uh, which was, I think Catalyst was still there. At some, I'm not sure if Catalyst is 2017, 2018, but basically SwiftUI was announced. It Sherlock the whole idea. And by, by that point, I was uh, already working on Swift WebAssembly. It made sense to start to reorient Tokamak um, to uh, to target WebAssembly as a platform, and also a lot of the architectural things, uh, as because there is so much, uh, a lot of common between React and SwiftUI in terms of architecture, in terms of how they work under the hood. I it it was enough to just change the uh, top layer, the syntax of uh, Tokamak to support SwiftUI, and by that point already alternative implementations appeared like SwiftWebUI. Open Swift UI, where people started reverse engineering Swift UI to see how how that works, um, and uh, how how you could make it work on other platforms as well. Uh, I was uh, WebAssembly was my thing at that point. Nothing nothing targeted WebAssembly, and so yeah, uh, at, at 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 some point a couple of maintainers joined, which made things a, lo a lot easier and. Uh, some advancements in Swift WebAssembly as well. Um, it, the main goal, I would say, is to cover as much Swift UI as Swift UI API as possible. And uh, ideally, if you have a Swift UI app that doesn't have any platform-specific stuff like UI Kit or App Kit, we want you to be able to just recompile a project with Swift Wasm and get this app running in the browser. Maybe some adjustments would be needed, but it's the same thing. Uh, I think Apple invented here a good uh, um, term, which is not cross-platform, but multi-platform. So I think Tokamak is just a multi-platform. It's, it's a Swift UI backend for other platforms, potentially not just WebAssembly, but say Windows or maybe even Android in the future because of how modular React architecture is. It allows you to maintain this high-level high of SwiftUI syntax and low level of renderers for each platform. Um, yeah, I don't know when we'll achieve that goal. And it's obviously a moving target with Apple announcing more and more SwiftUI stuff every year. But we, we are getting there and uh, there is a ton of stuff on our roadmap. So, uh, but the goal is clear, it's a moving goal, but we, we, we'd like to get there at some point. Maybe we will, Maybe we'll chase and uh, catch up with Apple at some point and could declare Tokamak 1.0 fully compatible with SwiftUI. So eight months later, WWDC breaks everything. Uh, and actually, uh, they didn't uh, touch you still? Did you have some contacts? Um, from Apple, you mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, not with regards to Tokamak and... Uh, Especially, I, I would like to clarify that none of this is affiliated with Apple. This is just purely open source project. We work on it in our spare time. We don't reuse. That, that's, Tokamak is not a 
is basically an implementation of SwiftUI API. And what makes a lot of things easier, by the way, is the ruling, uh, just a little digression here, but there was a uh, lawsuit between Oracle and Google about reuse uh, between, the, the subject matter was basically is whether you can re-implement an API on different platform or wh whether you can re-implement an API at all. And the Oracle's case was that APIs are copyrightable and every re-implementation of an API is uh, copyright infringement, which was basically if there was a rule in there that Oracle is right, that, that would mean Tokamak or any kind of re-implementation of any API infringes the infringes copyright of the original author. Um, that would be, no, I, I don't want to imagine what would happen. Thankfully, the ruling was in favor of Google, which means that you can, Legally, you are allowed to take any API, re-implement it from scratch, as long as you don't, yeah, as long as you don't infringe on any other copyright matters, like you don't copy proprietary code. And that's what we do. We just look, have a look at the API, the function signatures, and try to understand how it actually works. Um, so folks from Apple, I, they, um, I, I, I think in terms of, um, in terms of supporting different platforms, I think it's not in their priority at all. It's not a business priority for them. So uh, I, I saw I saw some yeah I, I did I didn't see any kind of actionable um, uh, I would say I didn't see any activity uh, on the front of Tokamak uh, Swiftwasm yeah th there were a couple of like explicit endorsements from like people saying oh this is great. How can we help? Uh, we uh, started submitting patches uh, to to the main Swift repository, and we get reviews from those patches. But yeah, my my understanding is that it's just support for other platforms and not that's not high on their list. Even Linux and yeah, as we talked about server side stuff, like maybe there are a couple of people working there on supporting Linux, but. I personally, I have no idea what's going on there, but I have an impression there from from the outside that, like, it's not a priority for them, unfortunately. And so, yeah, we have to do everything ourselves. But on the other hand, it's it gives us like kind of complete freedom, and uh, I, I I believe in the power of like open source and collaboration and how we can how it opens the project to everyone, and we. We we can develop everything in the open, so that's that that's a nice bonus. Before uh, we continue, we also have one more uh, comment regarding the Swift on um, no, server side Swift, and uh, that's like WebSocket support, data model generation. I would like to postpone this question till our next episode, where we will be talking about Swift uh, server side Swift specifically. And uh, yeah, that will be like small announcement in advance, but we will be talking about Vapor and we will have a guest who will be able to answer those questions specifically and with more details. So please stay tuned uh, in two weeks. We will be talking about just about that. And Max, uh, my question to you. So you do a lot of um, projects and uh, like you also work somewhere <laughs> and uh, open sources. Yeah, well, probably there, there are some... Uh, uh, donations or everything, but still, uh, this is something additional. How do you keep up? <laughs> yep, well, you're on mute. 
yeah, the the plague of uh, lockdowns and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, of, of course I'm muted at this point. Uh, okay, so um, uh, with uh, uh, with keeping up, I, I don't think I keep I'm keeping up well. Uh, um, there is obviously this kind of shiny thing syndrome, so I do get excited about any new idea, technology, and uh, I hope. I, I have somewhat manageable amount of projects that I'm working on. Um, uh, so speaking of COVID as well, the, the main progress of Tokamak and Swift UI, oh, sorry, Tokamak and Swift WASM happened in 2020. So as soon as COVID started, I think the amount of funding on a lot of uh, projects, a, a lot of uh yeah. A, a lot of startups and, and consulting work dried down. I was focusing basically February 2020. I started focusing on uh, open source work full time. Um, any kind of side projects that I had where I was helping out people that completely uh, dried up because of lack of funding, because like market was completely frozen. So basically for most of 2020, I was working on all of the open source stuff almost full time. And uh, this year I'm back to doing mostly consulting work. So unfortunately the speed of development on, uh, um, on the open source stuff has slowed down, at least on my side. But I'm really happy that we managed during the last year, we managed to get a lot of Contributors, uh, even uh, co-maintainers, um, a lot of people joined and contribute and are interested in the project. And that's what what keeps us going. Uh, a couple of sponsors joined as well. So as soon as uh, I I wish we we had enough sponsorships and donations that will allow us to work full time. If not me, some other sponsors, and maybe I, I myself would love to return to working on open source full time, or at least in a much in a much bigger way that I'm working on it right now. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think there is any kind of magic here. <laughs> there was a period of time where I worked on it full time uh, in the last year. And I even sometimes I regret that I start so many projects because I have a couple of open source libraries that I, where people come uh, and ask for help and or submit pull requests. And I, I apologize that I may be slow interviewing some of those pull requests, but still, yeah, we're, we're getting there. And if, uh, I myself, I, I had a few more projects in the back of my mind for server side Swift as well. And I'm just holding my hand and just saying, no, don't don't do it yet until you're fully like sure that you either find partners and maintainers who could help or enough contributors. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I think I think there is no magic here. Anyone could assuming, and of course, I'm privileged enough that I had enough kind of savings to get me through the last year and worked on all of these open source projects. I know a lot of people, like there's a lot of talking about like, you should contribute to open source and your GitHub uh, table should be all green in green squares. And, uh, but I understand there are a lot of people that like, there's just eight hours of a full-time job is enough. Yeah. Like you, a lot of time you're exhausted. So if, I'm talking about all of this exciting stuff, but if you think, oh, uh, 
I, I should contribute, but I don't have enough time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't have enough time for contributing as well. Don't be, uh, just don't be discouraged by that. And not everyone has to contribute, but if you're interested, it's obviously a great approach to learn, to learning and collaborating in the in the open and uh, getting. Uh, and, and it's a lot of fun as well. Uh, maybe not for everyone, and I understand that there may be some limitations in terms of time. That's that's somehow somehow I manage, but not not as much as I'd like. Uh, and uh, is it uh, enough excitement for you uh, to put in a roadmap uh, Swift can Swift UI concurrency support? Uh, yeah, that, that's very exciting. Uh, we we do have some limited support in JavaScript Kit uh, for async await actors, uh, not there yet. And I think th there is a whole different topic uh, for uh, of multi-threading support in WebAssembly and in the browsers. So I think actors are most useful when you have multiple threads. Uh, for SwiftWasm and the future SwiftWasm releases, I think until we until multi-threading is supported in WebAssembly in all browsers, and unfortunately Safari is the slowest here. So probably until all browsers support this, uh, it's not very wise for us to add to to basically embed this because we don't want to produce any code that's not compatible with Safari, for example. It's just it would work on all browsers except Safari. So probably whatever we do on the matter of actors, it probably would be just uh, like a shim. So whatever actors you create, they would all run on the main thread, the only thread that is there in the browser. And in terms of async await, um, it, it should just work. It already works in some prototype code. And when interacting, our main goal is to make it very smooth to interact with JavaScript. So if there is an async JavaScript function and you call into that one, it's just a plain async function on the Swift side. And just to follow up quickly on the WebSocket support uh, question, yeah, everything that's possible with JavaScript is also possible with SwiftWasm. Uh, we may not have a specific dedicated library that provides statically typed bindings in Swift, but you can still call any JavaScript stuff from uh, Swift with this JavaScript Git library. It's just going to bridge any kind of calls and data between JavaScript world and Swift world. And so WebSockets are supported in JavaScript. Yeah, sure. You can, you can write Swift code that does essentially the same thing. And uh, we, we do want to make that interaction as smooth as possible, especially with async await. Okay. Um so you mentioned that you you built a contribution community. So there, there are other contributors to both projects. Um, let's imagine we have a listener or a viewer who wants to start contributing there. Um, what what skills, what tools, uh, what languages these contributors should know? What how how to start? I mean, what? Um, I think yeah. If you're excited about the project, uh, just. <sighs> First of all, probably best to join our Discord channel, uh, which is the SwiftWasm channel. You, you, you should be able to, you can link, you can find a link to it from swiftwasm.org. That would help you a lot of the way. Like any questions you have, there are me and other maintainers there who can help you answer questions. Um, if you work with these projects before, so first of all, have some kind of goal in mind. What, what, what would you like to actually do? 
And even simple things are very useful, like improving documentation, um, fixing bugs, uh, just plain kind of housekeeping. Like if you see an issue and you know an answer to that issue, you can say, oh, here's a solution or this issue is a duplicate. Any help of that matter would be appreciated. Um, I think in terms of platforms, skills, languages, if you're a Swift dev, that's great. If you have JavaScript knowledge, that's even better, but not required. It would help with some more advanced use cases, though. Um, unfortunately, we don't support Windows yes, yet, uh, but I, I hope at some at some point in the future we would like to provide a tool chain which you can install on Windows and uh, compile uh, WebAssembly binaries there on Windows directly. Uh, so it's either Mac or Linux at this point. Um, we have we do have some documentation, but if you see anything there that's lacking, just ping us, let us know. As far as I know, this, some some of the feedback that I heard is getting started is very easy. You just install one package uh, from Homebrew, and it does everything for you. It compiles and 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 downloads the toolchain and uh, starts the project, refreshes the browser window. Um, does all of this kind of basic setup for you automatically. And so I hope you don't stumble upon any issues with that. But again, if you do, let us know. Any Even giving feedback of that matter, uh, of, of, of that nature, is very helpful. And in terms of more advanced stuff, of course, if you have knowledge of the Swift tool chain, that's just, um, that, that'll be amazing. Um, one of the big problems we have is keeping our fork um, up to date with the upstream Swift, so that's a, that's a big thing on on the roadmap that we'd uh, like to resolve. So if you can help us with that, that would be fantastic. Um, but that's a more advanced thing, and if you if you're not interested in that, I know Swift toolchain is is not for the faint of heart. So just doing all of the all of the kind of uh, Simpler things and JavaScript Git library is also needs some contributions. Tokamak as well is an interesting area, and you could learn a lot uh, about how SwiftUI works under the hood if you contribute there. So I think yeah, there there are enough projects there to contribute for all levels uh, of skills, whether you're a beginner or more advanced, where you're just getting started, or you have some kind of app built already and you stumbled upon any bug. Everything is on our GitHub. Discord is like a main channel of communication. Um, Xcode may help uh, in terms of syntax highlighting, but we also have a guide how to get started with Visual Studio Code. Um, and uh, yeah, some basic command line terminal knowledge may be needed if you contribute to more advanced stuff. But again, if you just can type two commands, copy paste them from our guide, that should be enough. Awesome. I hope there will be more contributors there for like. My personal uh, hope here is that the project will uh, uh, will will advance, and uh, I have friends who are like pointing to the Flutter, which is like spreading from mobile to other platforms, to the web, to desktops, and I really want to see SwiftUI as a competitor, uh, as a competition there, and like not just SwiftUI, but the Tokamak UI is, looks like the very promising project which might take that to to other platforms 
We are actually running out of time, but before we wrap up, uh, we have one question from uh, our team. And uh, we know that you are a little bit into retro gaming. Uh, is that true, first of all? <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that, that's definitely true. I'm uh, mostly dabbling into... Double, mostly dabbling with some old PC titles from 90s and aughts. Uh, I'm afraid to say I have like 100 titles bought on GOG uh, on a good old games store. Uh, no idea when I'll have time to play any of those. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so the answer the, is yes. <laughs> the lightning, uh, lightning question will be like, what's your favorite game? And... Uh, do you have any plans on like redoing some of the games, like I don't know, like in in, in an open source manner on the modern technologies, like just for fun? Um, so the, just one yeah. favorite. It's 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 a really hard question. It's uh, I'm, I'm just in the corner here, and I don't know how to answer that. So yeah, f- just classic okay. PC stuff, Fallout mm-hmm. One and Two, uh, oh, yeah. Diablo as well. Um, Heroes of Might and Magic is just the it's an obvious classic disciples just these kind of four five games um that's that's what i've spent a lot of time with recently uh just playing them on my 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 old macbook is now converted to a windows gaming laptop thanks to bootcamp and intel cpu inside of that and uh, in terms of recreating some of these games, uh, I don't know if I'd be able to do any of that from scratch, but I know there is a great kind of niche of uh, open source game engine recreation. Um, so, for example, Diablo 1 was faithfully recreated in C, uh, where people, uh, the source code is available on GitHub. Uh, they were even able to recreate it like in a binary compatible way so that you can swap the binary and compiled from those sources, it would be exactly the same. Um, that's a fascinating thing. I, I contributed to macOS support of that port of Diablo, um, but uh, recreating something from scratch, oh, uh, that's just, that that's too hard of a thing. I know there are some ports of Fallout on, on GitHub. Uh, I may, uh, I can tri- submit a few patches here and there, but maybe maybe I'll get to, to finishing any of those ports at some point in the future. That would be nice. I mean, like, yeah, uh, old fallouts, uh, like first two, probably, like personal opinion, uh, like something to try play a game, like something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for coming. That was a really, really interesting talk. And uh, um, we wish the projects to succeed and like gain more traction and more contribution and uh, more sponsors as well. Um, for all our listeners and viewers, we will see you in two weeks. And as we said, there will be a talk on uh, server-side Swift. So we're continuing our topic on like where you can go with Swift. Okay, that's probably it. Max, again, thank you very much. And uh, Thank you for day. coming and sharing all the... Bye. <laughs> thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. See ya.